Making a recipe that calls for butter? Make it better with European butter from France. With a minimum of 82% butter fat, it's no wonder French butter is the number one choice of chefs the world over. Whether you're whipping up an omelet, sauteing vegetables, or spreading it on toast, the rich, cultured flavor of butter from France always elevates. Be sure to look for Made in France on the label. And for recipes, tips, and tricks, go to tasteeurope.com. Taste has been the conversation for so long, now let's give texture a chance. Okay, let's put taste to the background for a second. Flavor, put that in the background for a second. Let's really focus on the structural integrity of a great meal or a great bite of food. I think that if you can learn a little bit about these six main textures, not only will it make you a better cook, but it's also going to make you a better eater. This is Taste. I'm your host, Matt Rodbard. Joshua Weissman is the biggest thing in food YouTube. He's got over 9 million subscribers, and you probably are here listening to it because you know Joshua Weissman. But if you don't, you should tune into this episode. We talk about his latest book, Texture Over Taste. We also go into so many topics about, like, Austin, Texas, where he lives, his favorite restaurants there, his favorite fast food hamburgers. We also talk about what, what's cool on the internet and what makes a video sing. I love catching up with Joshua Weissman, and I hope you enjoy this conversation. Joshua Weissman, welcome to This Is Taste. Hey, thank you for having me. I'm happy to be here. Happy book birthday. It's Today's your book summer. I know. I'm not pregnant anymore. It's awesome. You know, <laughs> pop that thing out real good. <laughs> Texture over taste. It's cool. And I want to get into this. This is like a, a cerebral idea, a very key to understanding our, our food uh, culture and what we like. But first, we're in New York. Uh, where have you been for food right now? You live in Austin, but you know, you're back in New York. Where do you, where do you go? Back in New York. You know, I love New York food. The funny thing is I've been so busy this time around that I didn't really have the chance to really explore, if that makes sense. But I love Contra. Yeah. Big fan. I'm sad they're going. They're gone. Yeah, they're out. Yeah. I'm sad they're going, so I didn't get a chance to eat there. I haven't I haven't been anywhere this time. I'm going to be honest with you. I haven't, I haven't had a chance to go out. I had some hotel food. It was trash. I mean, it really happens... Most of the time. Yeah. Because the club bad. sandwich is usually fucking soggy. Yeah. You know what's funny? I think the club sandwich, despite it being soggy simultaneously, is the most reliable thing. You could have a really dry-ass burger if you want, you know? Oh, There's never. that. Yeah. <laughs> Where are you staying? Anywhere good? Downtown, uptown, midtown? Pierre. Oh, you're at the Pierre? Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Well, the food is not good there. That's good to know. Um, I mean, it's okay, you yeah. know? I, I ordered a... What did I order? I ordered the shrimp curry... And what I didn't like about it was the rice that they gave me was like this fragrant rice, right? There were so many curry leaves in this rice that when I picked them all out, I could fill the bowl back up with the curry leaves. Look, I get it. It's fragrant rice, you know. <laughs> oh, look, we're so traditional. No, nobody wants that. I just want rice. You know, yeah. call it a day. Yeah, it's, it's, it can be like hard to fish out certain like objects in rice. And, you know, curry leaves, not not great. Not like great to eat a curry They're not leaf. great to eat. They're yeah, not. No, I love them cooking and obviously using like tempered oil, you know, use a curry leaf, throw that shit in there. Yeah. Um, you have a chew chapter. I love this so much. And you talk about the New York City bagel. Have you, have you, do you have bagel plans, New York City bagel plans? If I have time today, I definitely will swing by and grab some. I might go swing by Utopia, my boy Scotty. Yeah. Love that guy. That's a good spot. Yeah, yeah it's definitely. great. 
It's awesome. I love Utopia. Um, you know, I mean, there's all sorts of bagel places around here. I love, uh, I mean, you know, Russ and Daughters is a classic. You can always go by there and grab yeah. something. You know it's going to be consistent. I don't think it's the best bagel, mm. but I think it's consistently good. What about Courage LA? Have you been there? Love it. Yeah. Love it. I, Shout I, out. Part of, right. Part of me is like, I I don't want to love it. It's New okay. York. I'll say it. I'll say it. Courage Bagels is very good and can compete with the majority of New York bagel spots. And it just is no, what it is. It's I'm completely, sorry. Completely. No, no need to apologize. It's it's true. It's been well documented. Hey, okay. On that note, have you been up to Barney Greengrass recently? Do you ever go there? Have you ever been there? Barney Greengrass? Yeah. No, that sounds, like, that sounds like some guy that smokes a lot of weed on the corner. It's great that this is the first time we're talking about it. It, it, it is true. It is feels like the guy feels like the guy who's about to go to the Beacon Theater and see Steely <laughs> Dan. Um, it is a legendary deli. They have these salmon collars that are incredible smoked. Ooh. But it's like a legendary deli. It's kind of like the Uptown Katz's in a way or, or, or Russ and Daughters. Love Anyways, it. Just, just throwing that out there. Okay, so you open the book, Texture Over Taste. I love this book because it's like answering a lot of the questions that I have, a lot of questions that come up. And you open the book with fried uh, chicken drums. They look super nice. Nice nice work with the photos. But is this like the ultimate texture over taste food? What, fried chicken? Yeah, man. I mean, I think it's so loud and it's something that people can immediately identify the textures that are involved with eating a chicken leg, right? Like, we all love a good fried chicken. Even if you're vegan, you probably love a good fried chicken. You just, <laughs> you just don't eat it anymore. Yeah. But, you know, it's easy to identify that classic crunch. Yeah. It's fatty. It's juicy. It's just such a visceral experience. And I knew that that imagery would yeah. invoke some thought. Yeah, no, it, it really does, because there's, like, no name brands there. It's, like, your homemade version, but you look at it, you're like, that is a fucking good fried chicken right there. Yeah. Now, then, like, backing up, texture over taste. Why is this book two for you? Why is this the big idea, texture over taste? So, you know, when I say over taste, I, it's really not saying that it's more important per se. It's just over taste in the sense of taste has been the conversation for so long. Now let's give texture a chance. Okay, let's put taste to the background for a second. Flavor, right? We're talking about flavor. Put that in the background for a second. Let's really focus on the structural integrity of a great meal or a great bite of food or what have you. You know, I mean, ultimately, this is a recipe book, but it's subject based and it's driven by the six main textures that create a great meal, recipe, eating experience, so on and so forth. And I think that if you can learn a little bit about these six main textures, not only will it make you a better cook, but it's also going to make you a better eater which means that your experiences yeah. when you go out will be better. I think if someone could just think 5% more about the food that they're eating, that their positive experience on life will increase by at least 10%. It's multiples, right? Yeah. I agree with you. Knowledge is multiples. It will increase your pleasure that much more if you understand so much. origin or understand the food science. And back to like the food science part, this is a pretty food science heavy book, though. You're certainly not saying that. You're not like, there's not you in a lab coat or anything, imagery of that. Yeah, I tried to keep it like, as softened as possible. There's so much to talk about. I could have made this a 10,000 page book easily. But what I wanted was I just wanted a rough overview that everybody could understand. And we're kind of like touching on it, you know, and depending on how much people love that subject, maybe we'll write a deeper book on it, right? But this is a good dip your toes in no yeah. matter what skill level you're at, understand it. Like, why book two with such a cerebral or, or high-minded idea? I mean, you could have done, like, Sandwiches Are Cool, Bro. Like, I mean, it would have done really well, would have crushed. Or a grilling book would have crushed. Yeah, and I mean, people really want a butt better book. You know, we're working on yeah. something like that, too. And that probably, you know, that's, that's a bit more broad. But this book, to me, was like, I'm like, okay, I'm going to put out a second book. I'm going to put something out that is contributive to the community, not just, here's my book. 
and that's it and go buy it. And so I looked at the overall landscape and I'm like, oh yeah, every book talks about flavor. You know, there's literally a whole books dedicated to it. Flavor Bible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You've got, the you gym. know, salt, fat, acid, heat, which by the way, love those books, incredible books, important books, yeah. necessity books. Mm-hmm. But, um, the problem is everyone's kind of followed suit and just got like flavor, 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 flavor. But to me, flavor is kind of easy to achieve, especially in the modern day. You know, if even if you don't know how to cook, fine, go throw a ramen packet in your sauce. Right. And, you can fix with like extra seasoning, yeah. MSG, which we love. You can cook with over acidity if you want to re like correct over salting, right? Store-bought sauces, like yeah. use your palate. Like people, you know what tastes good. Keep adding stuff until it tastes good. But what's really challenging or not even challenging, but what's hard, misunderstood is how important texture is, right? Yeah. You might have a great corn dog, but if that thing is soggy as fuck, you know, it might taste good, but that texture you're not going to be able to get over. Or a soggy old French fry. It's like it was – it it's salted properly. It's yeah. cooked perfectly. The flavor's nice, but why don't you enjoy it? The, the experience is totally ruined because the texture isn't there, and it is 100% reliant on it. Um, that's just how I feel about it. Nobody wants to eat stale cereal. No. You know, or stale chips or stale saltine cra- or yeah. stale crackers. And so it's like that missing element of texture, uh, you cannot overcome that with flavor. Or soggy lettuce. I mean, like or you go the opposite God. direction, right? But it's why Cantonese food, it's why dim sum is so fucking good because like the actual texture that you're getting in a dim sum hall is like what's there. It's like always crunchy or it's like, you know, there's a squish factor. There's always, like I feel Cantonese is great. Is there other cuisines that you feel really get texture over flavor? I mean, I think most, most like really big food oriented cultures which there's a lot yeah uh have like some sort of textural thing thing to them um but i guess like well i mean southeast asian culture is very good at that yeah that's like you know like like you said it's <laughs> that's the focus for sure um i don't know i mean i think french cuisine has its textures you know they love f- flaky they love they love mm-hmm. rich fatty viscous things laminated doughs and like mil- meat that's very fatty yeah, yeah. fatty gr- you know just very unctuous foods um and then of course like italians love i guess they italians love chewy actually now that Mm -hmm. i think about it you know they love chewy things pasta pizza um they love crunch like fresh vegetables um you know and and you can see that reflected in a lot of different cultures I love that you dedicate this book to your parents um and you you note how they let you be who you wanted to be and you know let's get into how that um, kind of translated to food. How do they let you be how you wanted to be with food? They never in- interjected their opinion on anything I did, and, except for positivity. But they were never like, are you sure you want to do that? They never made me question myself. And I think that's the number one thing. Like, I could probably just end that question with that answer, which is they never made me question myself. They just let me try shit yeah. and called it a day. There was no like, and if I mess something up, they would just, you know, let me mess it up, which is totally mm-hmm. fine. Like, right? And you learn. I think nobody wants to mess anything up. Um, and so, yeah, their uh, biases and opinions were never involved in my advancement towards becoming an adult. So that means that if there was something that I really liked, they supported it 100 million percent. And if there's something that I didn't like, they also supported 100 million percent. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was kind of it. Like, I feel like all the decisions I made in my life were my own. Which is great for food because there, there's no like preset agenda about like feeding you food that you didn't want, but it also let you like kind of play around. I mean, were you playing around with food at an early age? Yeah. So I started cooking when I was four. Yeah. Um, and my mom was the one who brought me in the kitchen. She never forced me in there, by the way. I was just naturally curious. 
Um, and my mom was like, yeah, sure. Come on, you know, make a little thing. You know, she would let me, it, it allowed me to do things that I wasn't allowed to do mm-hmm. in other areas, you know, like hold a knife, uh, <laughs> control fire, you know, and when you're four, like that's pretty badass. Just turning on the mm-hmm. stove as a four-year-old is like, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm God, <laughs> you know, uh, that's funny. I, I, I am, uh, I am him, but, um, you know, that, that got me really intrigued with sort of just this ethereal process that I could do whatever I wanted. There were no rules and I got something at the end of it and there was something to be won at the end of it. So it's like this game to me and that turned out I was pretty good at it. And I just naturally was inclined. I don't know why I just immediately understood it. I think it's because it's so obvious hot pan put thing. Yeah. Hot pan there's thing. a cause and effect like very clearly as a kid. Yeah. Touching a band. You're it's, hot. it's hot. It, yeah. Or like, you know, mix an egg. It gets mixed. True. You know, it's just yeah. very commonsensical, I guess. Yeah. In a way. Um, and so, yeah, I, I loved it. And and they nurtured that, but not in a way that pushed me into it. It was just more of like, if I w- continue to have interest, they'd be like, all right, cool. For Christmas, we'll get you a little knife. You know, maybe it's that. cool. Or like if I asked for something, even if they couldn't afford, like, well, not afford it. Even if it wasn't like ideal for them to spend the money on it they would get it anyway. And as a parent, it's like, this could be a phase, you know, spending that 200 or $400 on a stand mixer. Like what if he just never uses it? You got a KitchenAid for, for, for the holidays one time. Um, did I get a kid? No, they actually already had a KitchenAid, but I asked for like a $200 knife. Oh, nice. Good. And when I was a kid and, uh, I think most parents would have gotten something cheaper and been like, look, this is probably a phase. Like what Mm -hmm. if they never do it? This is going to be a waste of money. They're never going to use the knife. Right. But the thing is, is like they didn't really consider they didn't really consider those things. They're just like, this is something he's interested in. This could nurture a path for him. Let's just go ahead and get it and we'll see if he uses it. You know, and the wor- the worst case scenario, you never you never use it. But it's a two hundred dollar investment that could change your kid's life. Yeah. So like they were like, cool, that's fine. That's really cool. Now, was it like cooking over sports and cooking over music for you? Were you like, is that like your focus growing up? A hundred percent. Yeah. I hated school. Yeah. Twenty four seven. Mm. clicky I was always very never understood people's behavior at that age I was just kind of like like okay none of y'all know anything (laughs) (laughs) none of us know anything yeah we're all we're all stressed out and about dumb things and Mm -hmm. uh, I was never into that I wasn't into the clicks I really wasn't into like formal education I didn't like being told what to do I still don't like being told what to do Um, and so food was kind of my safety away from that. So you felt working in kitchens, like was a nice relief from that. Yeah. I mean, you, it's funny, like kitchens is, is a very militaristic thing. Yeah, sure. There are plenty of rules, tons of rules, but it was a price. I was, it was the only place I was willing to pay that price because I enjoyed what I was doing every day. And it, and it, it did the one thing that I wanted, which was, I wanted to further my expertise and skills. Yeah. Back to the book. Like, make a case for making tempura at home. I feel like you make it in the yeah. book, but I'd like to hear it because I don't think about making tempura. The case is you can tempura whatever you want. Right. So if there's something you can't get tempura traditionally in a restaurant, you could do it at home. And frankly, it's not that hard. It really isn't. It's a thin batter. You put your whatever it is. I mean, fuck it. You could tempura batter that that red solo cup over there if you mm-hmm. wanted to. So yeah, cool your, for beer pong. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, honestly, that'd be kind of crazy if you think about it. Like tempura red so- solo cup beer pong. Yeah, definitely. With the ball, and the ball would have like an extra like uh, yeah. layer on it. So I like that. Yeah, yeah. If it hits someone in the eye with sake, vegetable yeah. oil everywhere. <laughs> um, but yeah, so like you know, um, that's that would be my case. That I would make if you don't want to make it yourself. I totally get it. You know, it's funny though. I'm I'm actually glad you asked that. So 
I think there's this thing where it's like people think that I'm trying to convince home cooks to cook or people to cook in general. And um, I really don't care if anyone cooks. Like if someone comes up to me and they're like, I never want to cook. I'm like, all right, cool. I literally don't care. Even if half my audience didn't want to cook, I don't care. I think the only thing I care about is just getting people involved and excited about food to any level. And I don't mean excited in the sense of, when, oh, when I go to the grocery store, I'm more excited. I just mean, like, I don't know, go out for a different meal than you normally would and enjoy that. Yeah. Because I I have this, like, part of me that I love people seeing things from my perspective for a split second. Because hmm. there are things about food that I love so much that I'm just like, man, if someone else felt the same way about this as I did, they would really see something. And so if you feel that way about eating your first soup dumpling, fuck yeah. Cool. Yeah, and that's the beauty of YouTube as well. And like having like over 9 million followers on YouTube, it's like, you know, you can have like a second or two in your 30-minute video that people click into or it's the whole 30 minutes. And cooking doesn't matter, but we consume food media in different ways. And you've linked in to like a way that is, I think, the most progressive way, which is short form and middle form video. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I mean, and tons of people that watch us don't cook. They just love watching me cook or they love learning new things that they're like, oh, shit. I didn't know that um, I never. I don't know. Like, th- this is pretty common nowadays. Mm-hmm. But let's just say it's new to someone. But it's like, oh, I've never heard of karage. I love fried chicken. I didn't know there was a Japanese version of fried chicken. I, and it's just mayo and lemon and cool. Like, fuck, yeah, I'm going to go try and find that. Yeah. Cool. Mission accomplished. It's so cool. I mean, I, I love what you do. I really am a huge fan of the of the way you talk about food because it is without arrogance. It is without uh, borders. It's cool. It's rad. Appreciate that. A lot of people think I'm very arrogant, and in some ways I am, but— I don't vibe that way with you. I, I, uh, do you link with, like, T- uh, Tina Choi from Doobie Doo Bop or any of the other uh, YouTube creator people? I hate that word, but, you know. No, I mean, you know, it's funny. I'm very outside the community. Yeah. I have a lot of big goals. And, you know, YouTube is always going to be something important with what we do, but it's not the end all be all to me. You know, I'm building for something bigger and we're going to build, I think, far outside of it. And I don't want to rely on the necessity of having to collaborate with people. I want my work to speak for itself. And if there's someone that I like, then cool. Like maybe we find ways to link up. Fuck dude. Like I'm busy as shit mm-hmm. every day. I'm working, working like 16 hour days yeah, I know. for the past like decade of my life. I mean, just doing that hundred tips video that you, which I'm linking to, which is like, like should be like the hall of fame. That was like such a, a good of, one. It's a good one. It's a banger. I mean, for sure. It is really, really, really good. Yeah. I mean, you get to like 54 and you're like, Oh, we're going like six, like 45 more. And all of them are pretty damn good. I agree. I don't think that there are any in there that aren't valuable to some level. Yeah, I love that video. And let me ask you, when you are talking about bigger ideas, are we talking about like restaurants? Are we talking like, what, like how do you get bigger than being like the biggest food personality on YouTube right now? <sighs> I, it's funny. I don't feel like we've, I feel like we've barely nicked the surface. And, and I, and I don't want to sound like, um, you know, big boy over here, but like, you know, I look at people like, Gordon Ramsay and all these people who were ushered into the food network era of food, right? And amazing era, by the way, incredible. An era that's dead. Let's call it. It's dead. Yeah. It's done. Yeah. Um and that hurts to say, but at the same time I'm ready for the change because um it's time to be more value focused. It's time to put things out that are about the people more than it is about you know I don't know. 
I don't really have a, a, a example of a subject, but just make it more focused for the people, make it more honed in. I think food deserves to be at a, in a higher place in entertainment, and, and I want to help take it there. When you say value-focused, I like that. What does that mean? Value-focused doesn't just mean learning how to cook. It can it, Value means that the person that's watching has something about the thing that they're consuming that means something to them. And it doesn't have to be logical. It doesn't have to be like, oh, now I know how to make pancakes. That's value. I mean, it is value. Mm-hmm. But also just being entertained is value. Learning something, like, and like I'd said earlier, going and having your first soup dumpling because you watch my video, that's big, that's massive value, huge value. Um, if you can, if it is so hard to convince people to do new things because of how loud it is in entertainment now, so, so hard. People can't even imagine. If you can manage to inspire a million people to go try something new, that's massive value to me um, because it's a, it's a domino effect. That's not going to be the first thing that they go try. When they go have that epiphany moment, they're going to go do it 100 times more through the rest of their life, and that's going to teach them something through the rest of their life. So to me, that's like an element of value. So the point is looking at the whole picture and providing that at to as many people as possible. I really like that, Josh. I've, I totally agree with you, and I think that – it gets noisy and it gets to be like 25 hacks to like become the best chef ever bullshit and like all this window dressing and it's loud and noisy and it gets distracted from actually learning to cook or appreciate food. Um, transition to Austin. I just got back at a great trip there. You live there. What, what, what do you, what do you like in Austin restaurant wise? Well, I, I have a question for you. Where'd you eat? What oh was, my God. Where's your, where's your top, top three places? you Number one, Kanje. Nice. Yes. So good. Great choice. Tavel is, I think I pronounced table. T- the guy is like super yeah. good. He's also really cute, Loki. Yeah, yeah, dude. He's he's like a really cool, and I can't wait to have him on the show when he's up here. He's awesome. I love birdies. Those guys are right. my they're my friends Solid. now, and I become cool with them. Um, and then I'll say the third. I went. I mean, there's so many. I went to Franklin, and it, the line was only eight eight minutes long. Wow, which is you weird. Got lucky. It was um, the end of August, right before like school just started. UT. It was like a weird time, so but it was good. Um, there's a barbecue truck, um, out at a brewery that does... KG Barbecue? Not that one. Okay. I, that was closed. That, like, Solid. That place sounds good. Solid. Um, I went to a barbecue truck and they had, um, a mango, uh, soft serve that was extremely good. And the oh. truck was good. Um, Distant Relative. Oh, I've Do you know that spot? I've never heard of it. Distant I'll, Relative. I'll list. Yeah, so those are my three. What about you? Let's fill in some blanks here. I have a lot of places. You know, I'm a big fan of consistency, right? I never, ever put a restaurant in my top five, no matter how good it is. It needs to be that good the second, third, fourth, fifth time before it goes in my top five. So some of these places, or top three, I guess, in this case. I don't, man, before I say top three, let me just, (laughs) these are top three that are coming to my mind right now. There are a lot of places that that probably are at the same level as these three. But what comes to mind first, because of consistency of product and just being great, Emmer and Rye for sure. Mm -hmm. If you're going to go to Austin, Texas, and you want like a little contemporary, a little bit Texas, a little bit like just what's Austin about in terms of great execution of food, Emmer and Rye. They're not going to disappoint you. Um, I'm also buddies with uh, Kevin Fink, the chef there. He's a super cool guy, uh, very focused on quality. Yeah. Um, oh man, what else is there? I'm like drawing so many blanks. Mm-hmm. You know, I was pretty surprised by KG barbecue. Yeah. I think I'll put it on there. I've had it, I've had it two times, so I'm kind of making an exception for my rule. Sure, here, but, but it, it's fair enough. I mean, it's, it's, it's definitely like Middle Eastern yeah. broadly barbecue, yeah. I guess. You the could lamb. Say. The lamb barbecue. Crazy. Barbecue, yeah. I love that they did that too. It's a big risk. 
Yeah. I, anytime I ever try to put, I love lamb. Every time I've ever, I, I think I've only made one lamb dish ever go on a menu. Yeah. It's so fucking hard to yeah. sell. But um, let's see the third one. Okay, what have I had? I'm, you know, I think I'm going to put Kanji on that list. Yeah. Kanji kills. It's just his saucing alone <sighs> is an exceptional uh, way to, to make, make your dishes shine. Like just yes. like everything has a great sauce. Yeah. And a, like a, it's com- composed Ooh. cuisine. Suerte also. Ah, yeah. Love Suerte. Suerte. Shout out to Fermin. Yeah. Suerte is cool. I love that. Another cute chef. Yes, Austin's a great city. It's really fun to hang there too. Yeah. Um, back to your book, Carbonara Dukboki. Fucking great idea. Yeah. I've never seen that. I've written books about Korean food, and I've never seen that that kind of play. How, do, how does it work for you? It kind of makes sense, though, right? There's so many Korean dishes that include like cheese. Yeah. Why? Oh. Why has this not been? I don't. It, mu- it must be a thing somewhere. But um, yeah, I mean, I honestly didn't put that much thought into it. My first thought was, what's chewy? Oh, Dukboki. Mm-hmm. What? would be good with taboki that's not going to be the same sweet chili sauce that they always put on there. I want something different. And I was like yeah. thinking, and I was like, well, you know, I mean like pasta is chewy. What if there was like a pasta vibe? And I ran down the list of different pastas that there could be, you know, combined with that. And carbonara was the one that kept calling out because it's, it's the easiest to understand for people. Yeah. yeah. And it's just a crowd pleaser. Too. Yeah. I bet all would be great on it too. Oh, Grichi would be great too. Um, I like the Jolmian that you did too. Yeah. The, that, that's cool. That's another great Korean banger yeah i mean those noodles are all about being chewy right that's like kind of the whole pov of that dish so it kind of was that one was a no-brainer that was actually one of the first recipes that came on there because i was like yeah these are literally about being chewy and chewy (laughs) is a weird word because i think for many it's pejorative it's definitely a neg and and hard to wrap your head around but you're celebrating it totally i think the american palate doesn't celebrate it but a lot of other cultures do especially asian food culture across the board doesn't matter where you are they all in in in, you know i mean to the point of korean food i mean so many different dishes i mean taboki is a great example because that's what it's all about that's the whole that is the main experience of that there's not that much flavor in in those uh in those rice cakes yeah right the sauce has flavor yep so why are the rice cakes there texture Super well said, and I agree. And I kind of misspoke when I said uh, Chewy is not uh, loved. It's from the American gaze. Fuck yeah, it's not. Yeah, huge, it's, but no, I think it's a good point. I'm glad you said it yeah. because it's a, it it shows that the American palate just doesn't like hasn't recognized it yet. That yeah. doesn't mean that they don't like it. It's just oh, that sure. it's typically because like Americans love all these different foods. They just don't think about how why they love them. Yeah, and chewy is usually just something you say, oh, that was too chewy, right? Yeah. We, like, say it's too chewy. It's, like, extra chewy. Yeah. Uh, when one, was the la- like, not to interrupt you, but when was the last time you were like, that was perfectly chewy? Right. Who's ever said that? No one says that, but if you go to Korea or Japan, it's like that is the perfect chewy noodle yeah. or chewy rice cake. The best comparison I've made to get people to understand why chewy is great is just, like, bagels. And they go, oh, yeah. Oh, I love how chewy. I love a chewy bagel. Yeah. Cool. All right, there you go. I love chewy taffy. There you go. See? Yeah. Now people can uh, can make that connection. That's cool. One pound butter mashed potatoes. You are my guy. I'm more of a 50-50 personally, but that's a little insane too. But one pound saying it right in the headline. Yes. Thank you. I mean, that's what it is. Uh, they're, they're kind of a riff off of... Um, Robichon? Robichon. Thank you. Yeah, Sorry, Robichon. I was forgetting. Uh, they're kind of a riff off of Robichon potatoes, yeah. which, I mean, frankly, they basically are. <laughs> that's what they are. It's yeah. it's just it's not really a it is mashed potatoes. That that you know if you like mashed potatoes you're going to see a very similar association. But what it really is is it's a potato emulsion with butter. 
Yeah. <laughs> That's really what it is. That's a good set. I mean, you got to do it at Thanksgiving, though. It's like totally. the perfect Thanksgiving showstopper. I love doing it because people are like, these are the best mashed potatoes ever. But here's the best part. You don't have to make that many because no one's going to be able to eat the normal portion size. It's so true. And le- I mean, that's why like buffet style with these 50-50s or one pounds can be tough because the people will scoop like a bunch of scoops. Yeah. Like, yeah, that's not going to happen with this. You got to plate it, right? Yeah. You got to plate it, but also like they're the if you just let everyone know, hey, start with a small amount of these potatoes first and then come back for seconds if you want more. They never do. No, definitely. It's, it really hits you. Okay, so I never thought about caramelized onions and miso soup. And you're doing it here. And this marriage of umami sweetness is is nice. How did you come up with that? I was thinking French onion soup, miso soup. Exactly. And that's that was it. Like, uh, nice. It's so smart. It's good. Yeah, because I, I, well, it's funny. Like French onion soup almost is the miso soup of France, so to speak. <laughs> yeah. I mean, granted, French onion soup isn't that popular in France. It's more of like an Americanized thing. Mm-hmm. But like when you think of French onion soup, I would put it in all, borderline in the same category as miso soup. It's like the starter. It's very unctuous. It's mm-hmm. very rich. It's very dark. Um, but it's also kind of refreshing. It's kind of yeah. nice. Yeah, and and the technique that you use with the onions is uh, you kind of you puree them, right? You get them kind of broken up a bit, right? I mean, I think they naturally get broken up they, just because they've been cooking for so long. Maybe that's why I'm thinking about. But yeah, I think that's one thing. I'm I'm like you got to like puree. Like chunky soup can be a, a bummer, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. I, and you know, like the funny thing about the the caramelized onion miso soup, you could also like not caramelize them and just just char them. Yeah, yeah. And leave that in there, and that that has its own flavor. Char- it's just. Smokes it up a little. Yeah, yeah, burnt. Yeah, the char is, is a good point. I love your jungle juice, which is mezcal, Campari, orange, pineapple, smoked salt. Man, it's good stuff. It's like you're not going to get that at a Big Ten university that I attended. No, but it's pretty nice. Unless it's like one of those universities that has really snobby kids that are super rich, which is like every Big Ten university. Guess, yeah, being honest. well, I guess you're right. So then maybe you will see it. You know, <laughs> after this, hey, to all the universities out here that have me speaking, maybe you should give them this book. Uh, no, but I mean. It's, it's funny. I, I made that recipe because I've always hated jungle juice. Yeah. And I was like, well, I guess jungle juice isn't that different from like a, you know, a fun tiki style cocktail. Mm-hmm. And so that was kind of the inspiration of that was like tiki style cocktail in the form of just a ladle full of it. Yeah. It's the best. And like, I think putting like smoky flavors with the mezcal and the salt is like a w- great way to like, be like, whoa, this yeah. is weird. Yeah, exactly. Because this jungle juice usually tastes terrible. Oh. So when someone tries this, they're going to go, oh, I'm definitely going back for another one of these. <laughs> they're like, what's in the punch? Yeah. So you said you're just talking to colleges. That's cool. So, like, you have a lot of college-age fans. And and, and what, do you, what do you teach, uh, like, a 19-year-old about food? Normally, they bring me in to talk about, like, career stuff. Oh, really? And cool. Just because I think because it's, like, my age and I'm close enough to their age range mm-hmm. and they happen to watch me. It, it's, it's a good connector. I like doing it because I like being able to shed some light on, like, the perspective of um, get close to the sun. Like there is no secret kind of energy, you know, like <laughs> don't overthink it so much. What do you like? And then actually answer that question and then stop there. Mm. Say nothing else to yourself and just ask yourself the question of what do you like? If you can't answer that, you already have problems you need to fix. But if you can't answer that, which I feel like a lot of people really can, if they really sit down and think about it, um, then just stop yourself there and do that. Uh, was is always kind of the talk I usually have. But um, what do I teach? I, you know, I think it's just a fun, it, it, again, another way to provide value that's not necessarily about cooking, but more about thinking about food and how that affects your life. And so, you know, we do a little cooking demo. We do a Q&A session. Um, I like, uh, the thing I love about the Q&As, I bring a ton of people on stage. Yeah, yeah, right on. And I love, like, just, 
executive chefing them. You know what I mean? Just yeah. like shitting on them. College kids are great because they love being deprecated. They're very self. Yeah, they can admit their like their their shortcomings. Yeah, yeah, totally. they love it. They love it. So I, you know, I'm basically just like razzing the crowd, razzing yeah. the people on stage, and they love it. It's just like it's humanizing. It's fun. That's cool. It reminds me of like Hugh Atchison. He does some of that shit. It's 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 a cool vibe to do that. Yeah, it's good. It's such a positive energy in there, and being able to like make fun of yourself and laugh about like life's hard. Like food is great. Let's call it a day. I agree. You make your own breakfast sausage in the book. I got to ask, have you had Taylor pork roll? Do you know what this is? Oh, we just launched a video where we, we slandered it oh, a little bit. Let's. So you're a West Coast guy, right? So you're yeah. not really the Jersey dude, but what do you mean by slander? Where did we go? It was just like not what I expected it to be. I'd never had it before. We did a video okay. recently. And is this, it up? I haven't seen it. It's up officially. It literally just went up like two hours ago, three hours oh, ago. Okay. Uh, it's performing really well. We're super interesting. Super I, happy. This is a random question. Wow, interesting. It's it's it, it is by far the biggest video we've ever done. It is uh, tasting and ranking every single food in America, all fifty states, the most popular dish from each <laughs> state. Oh shit, that's we, great. We made all the way through, tasted and ranked every single one, fifty dishes across the United States of America. And we had people vote on each state. So that, because what I didn't want was I didn't want people coming back and saying, that's not the food. That's not the food. It's like, yeah. look, I'm going to put it on y'all. Y'all vote and tell me. Everybody voted. That's what we picked. We got to Taylor Ham. Um, and that was one of the dishes. I'm, I cannot remember who we gave that to. I didn't know what to expect. I thought it was going to be like, like a smoky ham kind of. It was just like this really salty, it's, salty, salty. It's not smoke. It's more salt. You're right. Yeah. And we put it on, I think, in a sandwich. Oh, yeah. And I was really had high hopes. It wasn't bad. It was just, it's just really salty. It's, it's, if it's the first thing you eat, agree with you fully, it's too salty. And, and, and if you've had like eight things, it's bad. If it's like the first thing, like at 8 a.m. after coffee, totally, it hits. But like, it's a, it's a tricky one. It also depends on the brand you get, I bet, too. I bet, yeah. Because the, the brand that we got, I feel like could have been better. Is it in a white package, the one you got? Yeah. That's the one. Oh, fuck. That's the one, but you know, I was you, expecting to be like fattier. It's not. It's, it's definitely just not very just lean and salt. It has a little bit of haggis vibe to it. I think it's a little bit, but haggis can be very salty. You yeah. know, it, it has a little bit of that. <sighs> I wanted it to be good, man. Yeah. I really, I, I, I had a bias tilting towards good, and when yeah. I ate it, I think I was sadly mistaken. But also, it was like twenty dishes in. I mean, that's the thing. What about Michigan? Do you recall which one you had for Michigan? Which I is my don't home state. remember. I was gonna say if you knew, remembered every single one, I would be impressed. What like, do you th- What do you think it would have? So been? I'm thinking. Well, we've got Verner's, which is like a kind of a second rate ginger soda, which I think is amazing. We have that. I'm gonna say either something with maple, but you know, I think maybe Vermont might get maple. Um, I think Vermont got maple. They got ma- the maple creamy. Have you heard of that? Yeah, I've heard of that. It's oh pretty, my god, it's pretty good. It's fucking good. From Michigan, I would probably say uh, the the Detroit style pizza with Frico. On the on the like cheese on the outside. I think it got something like that. That would be the one I would probably pick. I think the square pies with cheese on the side is probably the Michigan food. I wish I could remember. The Coney is not Michigan food. Maybe the Coney dog hit your radar. Whoever, whatever they voted for. <laughs> All I gotta say is, if you're from Michigan and you're like, that was a terrible choice. It's like, okay, well then you can blame y'all self. Yeah. Because we got like hundreds <laughs> of votes for each state. Yeah. Um, and then let's talk about the fast food burger showdown, which is highly entertaining. And oh, it's fun. I'm not going to spoil uh, the the show, but can we say, like, who is in your top three? Totally. Like, who is in your top three? So top three, if I remember accordingly, was uh, it, not necessarily in this order, was In-N-Out, yeah. Shake Shack, 
and Steak and Shake of all places. Buddy, these are like absolutely part of my rotation. Yeah, they're great. You know, but nice. you know, Steak and Shake was a surprise to be in the top three. I think that was the biggest surprise of them all because Steak yeah. and Shake, I would argue, may very well be one of, if not the most underrated burger spot in the U.S. Simply because it's a dying thing. Like, I don't know that they're going to go out of business, but like they're dwindling. You know, there's not many locations. We had to. <laughs> you were in Southern California. You did like yeah. go hike around. Where did I? I think we had to go to California yeah. <laughs> to get there. And then we found out that there was one really far away from us in like Dallas or something like that. But um, oh. that's cool. I, I have one in my hometown in, in Kalamazoo, Michigan. They're amazing. So good. And the, the shakes aren't bad either. So. I'm glad to hear that. How was the production for that? Was that a, that's a lot of work that went into that video. We push it, man. I mean, it, yeah. you know, we really people have no idea how much work goes into this. Enormous. Um, you know, I'll put I'll put it into perspective. That one video was three days of uh, was it three yeah. or four three or four days of filming across multiple states. By the way, across those three or four days, um, and sorry, actually prior to those three or four days was probably a, uh, one and a half to two weeks of pre-production mm-hmm. as in like, how many places do we go to? What really is every burger place in America and how, like, cause technically there are thousands, right? Yeah. We, we can't visit thousands. It'll be, it'll be a four hour video. Mm-hmm. What's, what's our, so we had to define some lines. Um, and then after that, it was three and a half to four weeks of editing. Yeah. Because it's just like, dude, the amount of footage, holy fuck. So yeah, we're talking the, like a month and a half for it, one video. A big production, yeah. and, and you you have a lot of crew on there. You have a lot of team. How big is your crew about? So originally we had about 13 people on the team. We've we've chosen to lean it up because it was just too many people to keep track of, and there were just a lot of people not doing things. Oh, okay, yeah. like Or not doing enough. You know what I mean? Like one, one person just doing this one thing. I'm like, ugh. Is that Josh? Is that your decision when you start to lean your crew down a little yeah, bit? Yeah, a combination, a combination of my decision and also like some people were just like, it's a big. It is if you're gonna work for me, just know that you're not coming to, you're coming to work your ass off. Yeah, it just is what it is. Everybody's working their ass off. Don't come to me talking about how hard you're working. Like everybody, me, my director, yeah, everyone. It's uh, you know, we're we're building, and so um. You know, some people, you know, it was too much for them, so we, you know, let them go because yeah. they're not enjoying it. And so I realized I'd rather have a leaner team that is willing to work harder, upload less, and collectively do something that we're all passionate about, that I we love all that. love. It's a, it's you got to be straightforward when you're hiring people. Yeah, I like I like having groups of people that are all fighting for the same thing. Does the algorithm bug me out in YouTube? I feel like it's like you put something up and then there's like this weird algorithm thing happening that does it doesn't perform. I mean, these perform million you get millions of views regardless, but you're not getting like 10 million for everything, right? Yeah, I mean, like, I don't know. It's there's definitely levels to it. It depends on what application you're talking about, but YouTube I think is pretty good about it. Mm-hmm. Here's what I've learned about the algorithm. The algorithm is only a reflection of what people click on and watch. And YouTube has done the best job at making a really legitimate algorithm. Mm -hmm. And the simple reality is, if you're going to come up with an idea, do you think 100 million people care about it? Truly. Got to ask that question. And, like, answer it as honestly as you can. Do people, do 100 million million people care about your chihuahua? Probably not. (laughs) Right. You may love that thing. You may, you may even be willing to jump in front of a car for that. That's you, though. you got to be able to rip your biases away from what you make 
to look and see, well, do, do how many people care about right. this thing? And fast food burgers is clearly indexing high. Yeah, pick things that are as broad as possible. Start learning about what are the yeah. things that do well. Um, I mean, I'm not like the end all be all seeing eye, but like let's look at let's look at this. Not everyone cares about food, right? Like, yeah, no, it's true. Mr. Beast does things that everybody cares about: throwing a Lamborghini in a gigantic shredder. Okay, cool. That's something yeah. that literally anybody on planet Earth could click and watch. Or giving away money. Or giving away money. But everyone kind of likes that. Everybody. What's the number one question when you're sitting in a room full of like a bunch of random dudes that have probably been drinking? Oh, would you eat poop for a hundred million dollars? It's like, yeah, Jeff, I probably would. <laughs> I probably would because I would. Yes. Yeah. You know, hundred million. Yeah. hundred mil. Yeah. yeah hell yeah, sure. dude. It, well, how much, you know, and then the people <laughs> get in and then it's like this fun conversation. Yeah. Okay. Well, he just brought those to life. He's like the modern day hyper high level, um, uh, game show mm-hmm. and everybody loves a game show because it's about money something everybody cares about so anyway long story short you got to kind of like find your genre and see how broad it is food is more niche and we more people watch our show than just about any food show ever no it's it's true and you're like the executive you're like the programmer of the food network plus and parts of nbc plus parts of disney plus yeah plus hbo i mean you've got this audience that Everyone covets in these in the places I just mentioned. I think it's hard to do in in a in a corporate setting. I don't blame Food Network or any of these. Well, how deep can I? Did really they pass go? on a Josh Wiseman show? Like back in the day? Um, <laughs> I don't think they passed on it. They you know they they, they we had little conversations here and there yeah, yeah, yeah. that never I didn't. T- they basically were trying to get me to come to them. Yeah, yeah, right. And I was very much of like you know. I don't want to be told, remember what I said earlier, I don't want to be told what to do. And I think that what I was going to say a second ago was like, you know, it's very hard to be corporate and have all these layers and be able to creatively pivot aggressively. And and a lot of the food ideas that I think will perform really well cannot go through a hyper bureaucratic system. Mm -hmm. They have to be very wide open, uh, especially for how much the food audience space has changed. Yeah, it's the way you, Babbage, Laurent Dejeuner, Doobie Doobop, like all these folks are just like crushing it and changing the way we think about food media. Like, real good. On This Is Taste, we ask guests about the discerning taste. So Josh, to close this interview, here's a little rapid fire, fast and furious taste check. Are you ready? Yes. The best breakfast. Oh, let me think. Wait, how, how long do I have to think or do I just go? You're going. Okay, uh, bacon and cheese on... A brioche bun, I know it's not very New York, but we're no. this is me, okay? Not New York. Um, yeah, bacon and cheese on brioche with a spicy mayo. Oh, mayo is the best. You're going to say ketchup. I was like, we're out. We're done. Yeah. No, it might maybe a little ketchup in the mayo, but yeah. not on the sandwich. Love it. The best dessert. Best dessert. Ooh. Uh, I would say, you know, honestly, simple chocolate chip cookie. Chewy, fudgy, salty. Birdies. They serve it on a plate. Yeah. That place in Austin. That's fire. Really great. Favorite American fast food chain. In and out. Favorite cookbook of all time. Ooh. I would say, I can't remember her name, but it's a book called All About Braising. Have you heard about this book? Completely. Molly Stevens. Yeah, Molly Stevens. Legendary. I love that you call it Molly. Molly's amazing. She's been on the show. She hosts a great podcast. Dude, she changed my life. Legitimately, with that book. Yeah. Because I'd already picked up a lot of skills as a kid, but... I cooked that through that entire book and it and it made me like take all the skills that I had learned and made me realize this is why I learned these things. Technique. 
And it made me realize the power of technique. And if you have all the little building blocks, once you, once you have that epiphany moment, that's when you're on your way to becoming a real master. Really cool that you said it about Molly. I think she, she writes her cookbooks like you. She's very, uh, very, very, very focused on, on, on testing and making sure it works. So cool. You should have her on your show. Would love to. Molly, hit me up. Your favorite recent cookbook discovery? You know what's kind of crazy? I haven't, like, read a cookbook in Buddy, you've been years. writing them. It's all good, man. Years. Is there one that, like, maybe is within the, reach? Yeah, you know, the, the most recent one that I really sat through and, like, went all the way through and went deep on was the Noma Guide to Fermentation. Cool. I've always been into fermentation, but it was cool to see the way that they approach it. It's a little bit more fine-detailed, a little bit more Michelin, a little bit more... Yeah. Oh wait, why do we do it in a jar? Why don't we just do it in a vacuum sealed bag? I'm like, fuck, that's so good. Yeah, yeah, they're that, and they got the hand in the cover. I mean, come on, so good. And it was on the bear. I mean, it's a, it's a great, it's a great. They killed. All right, your favorite New York City restaurant classic edition. Classic edition. Yeah, so nothing. We don't need to go new wave. I know you talked about. I love. I mean, I love that you called out the Wild Air guys and Contra. That actually might be classic, but one more. Russ and Daughters, because yeah. it just when I take friends there, it just feels like. New York. I can hear Frank Sinatra in there. You know what yeah. I mean? Even, even I know a lot of people are going to probably judge that, but like, I don't know. It's like, it's like my childhood, you know? I mean, I grew up Jewish father. My brother's Jewish. Mm-hmm. Like, we go and we eat fucking, yeah. you know, whitefish and Ashkenazi food is, is fire. It's amazing. It's great. Favorite LA restaurant classic edition? LA restaurant classic edition. If it's not going to be in and out mm, all the delis are gone, man. Yeah. It's so sad. And Cantor's isn't good, right? Yeah. Yeah. You once was. Once was, of course. Once was. Yeah. Uh, you know, maybe old school canters. Yeah, we'll if, go. If we wanted to go that route, sure. A few more, a couple more. Uh, the chef you would want to work under and learn from. Ooh. There are a lot. I would have said, you know, it's funny. We're kind of like, we're kind of friends now. We're Instagram friends now. Uh, but Renee Redzepi, for sure. Mm-hmm. Just because I like his tenacity. Yeah. And he builds, you know, he's built a universe, built a world around him like yeah. himself. I see the comparisons. Favorite vegetable? Broccoli. Ha- comes up like, you know, the, the guys you know, know. That one, that's it's the so one. Good. So good. It's great. Last one, favorite sandwich. Favorite sandwich. Patty melt, 100%. But it has to, and, and it's not a patty melt unless it has this, has to have fried onions on it. Oh, yeah. It definitely. can either be shoestring onions or it can be onion rings. I don't care. It just needs to be a onion that is deep fried. It has to have that sweetness. Josh Wiseman, it's been <laughs> a pleasure. Thanks for joining This Is Taste. Thank you so much for having me. Hey, Liza, we're here with three things. What's going on? Not much. I have, you know, more than three things on my mind, but three big ones. Three big ones. What do you you have for your first one? My first one is that I went to this restaurant called Bolivian Llama Party when I was in Queens recently after going to Costco. Have you been to this restaurant? You know what? I've not been to the one in Queens, but around the corner from our office is a, a little food hall and a food court, and Bolivian Llama Party was there, and I used to go. It's great. What? Yeah. Are they gone, though? Uh, it's called Turnstile. Oh, yeah. I hate going there because it's in the subway. So yeah, it's... I'm not a fan. It sound, it smells like candles or something down there, which I can't. It does. I can't with, like, eating food and candles. Well, I might have to go see if they're still there because I had a saltena for the first time. What is that? I don't know what that is. A saltena is, kind of, is a Bolivian. It's kind of like if you cross an empanada with a soup dumpling is the best S- way I can explain it. Stop it. it. 
It's incredible. Um, it has this kind of like sweet, spicy, it has raisins in it, kind of like stew. And the way that you make it is you mix in gelatin so that it's um, kind of congealed. And then when it's fried, that kind of unsets and it's really juicy. Yep. It's definitely a messy thing to eat. Um, and I think that the crust has plantain in it. It has that sweetness and also this really beautiful yellow color, uh, mm. but it was amazing. And now I'm craving them all the time. Is there any dipping sauce at all? Yeah. There's, you know, the kind of classic Bolivian salsa. I can't mm -hmm. remember the name of that right yeah. now. Very like green, acidic, bright and punchy, but it's very, you know, it's self-saucing as the British would maybe say. Self-saucing. Yes, there is a very Britishism. Yeah, I like that. So that's my first thing. What's yours? Um, I am just going to say that right now we're recording this in late October and we have entered panettone season. Yeah, they're everywhere. They really are starting to get everywhere. Are you a fan of panettone? Um, yeah, you know, I didn't have it that often. And then I had the great pleasure of being sent a From Roy panettone okay. last year, which maybe is what you're about to talk about. That's kind of like the bougie gold standard of panettone. And it was quite good. Well, panettone is, is a food in, uh, that uh, that delivers and lands in multitudes, I must say. There's, mm -hmm. There is the Roy. And actually, Roy was at the end of my list. Um, because yeah, I love Roy. Like from Roy, if you can get a from Roy, you're in a, you got you're, you're loved. You know, you're cared for. Um, but I I received a panettone from Giada de Laurentiis, uh, which was super good. Um, and I just I I thought about panettone for a while and did a little research. Um, and there's like so many panettones at at Italy. If you happen to live in near an Italy, you can head there starting now. And there's like four or five versions there. One is Olivari 1882, which is this this bakery outside Venice that does a total like version of panettone. And I think we should break down what makes panettone good. Do you, when you think of panettone, what do you think about? I think lots of fruit yeah. studded evenly throughout and that like spongy plush texture. Absolutely agree. Like that, 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 like it's almost like whispery. It's like very, it's, it's, you can pull it apart. It's very, uh, the bread is very enriched. I mean, it feels very rich and decadent. And then you've got the like booze soaked stone fruits, dried stone fruits, um, uh, and raisins and, and et cetera. And I, I just love, uh, I love that, that kind of bite to them, you mm -hmm. know, that you get when you, when you break into it. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it's one of these foods that maybe if it's a lesser version, it kind of turns you off. I think it's quite good. And also, if you have panettone that you're maybe not eating and it's getting a little stale, panettone bread pudding is just fantastic. And just to add panettone French toast. Mm. Amazing. Uh, Mauricio Leo, the author of The Perfect Loaf, is on his own panettone journey. And I had him in and we talked about it on an episode. We'll have him on the show soon. But I've been following him on Instagram and he's trying desperately to make his own version. And it's looking pretty great. Well, I'll have to check in on that. That seems like quite the saga. It's it's not. That's the thing. It's not easy to make either. It's very challenging. Yes. Especially for even a professional. It's really hard. It's something that many professionals won't even tackle. Well, that's why you should just go to Italy and buy it yourself, maybe. Go. What's your next one? My next one is that I had uh, the garlic noodle recipe that Kenji Lopez Alt did for the New York Times for the first time recently, which apparently was their most popular recipe of the year last year. No way. Huh. Have you had this before? Um, no. Tell me about it. I, it is I don't think so. So good. It is a uh, very simple pantry pasta where you're simmering like truly a huge amount of 
garlic and olive oil, and then you add um, oyster sauce, soy sauce, and fish sauce okay. to that. So it's this very like umami satisfying yeah. pasta, but it's also like those are all very strong flavors. But the garlic, there's so much of it that that kind of balances all of it out, and it's just um, a pasta that I keep thinking about. What's the noodle choice? Spaghetti. Yeah, but okay, I think so like any pantry. any noodle that you wanted to use, like obviously there's some Asian pantry ingredients being used, but I think it's quite nice with just kind of Italian spaghetti, but I think with uh, like fresh ramen, that would be so good. It's interesting. That trio is actually in the, the japchae recipe in Koreatown. It's, mm. it's exactly that trio of soy sauce, oyster sauce, and fish sauce with garlic, but of course... Um, a little more sugar and maybe some some maishol, which is like a, a, a kind of fruit preservative um, or preserve, that is, a fruit preserve. And it's uh, it's sweet and also umami. So I feel, but I like it with Kenji's version with a lot of garlic and with a regular like pantry pasta. Sounds good. Yeah, I think it's really good. And next time I'm going to have to add a little bit of chili crisp on top. Oh, definitely. Oh, that sounds good. I like that. Yeah, I recommend it. What's your next thing? I have just recently, as in the last day or so, been hip to this really cool book called Negatives, a photographic archive of emo, 1996 to 2006. Whoa. Kind of my shit. I love it. It's uh, by an author named Amy Fleischer Madden. She's the founder of Fiddler Records, uh, early home of Dashboard Confessional Newfound Glory and Recover. I feel like I emailed Amy a few times back in the day when I ran zines and wrote about music a lot. But man, it is a cool book. I'm going to link to the show notes. Features photos from Jimmy Eat World, Dashboard for Confessional, My Chemical Romance, Texas is the Reason, and then some lesser known emo bands like The Anniversary and Remember Hot Rod Circuit. I do not. Do, were you ever connected to emo in your... I mean, like the first names you just said, like Jimmy Eat World, like that vibe, yeah. yes. But I have friends, I think, that hold like MCR, all of that a lot more dear than I do. It's really been fascinating to see emo, especially like second wave and third wave emo come back for a younger generation, for Gen Z and even younger, even high schoolers now and, and, and teenagers. And I mean, I love the music. It's it's incredible, and it's, it's very much of a of an era. And it's it's rooted in punk and and hardcore, but definitely emo is its own thing. And I just really love the way this book brings all this like behind the scenes photography. Most of it's on film, and I think Amy did a terrific job. That sounds great. Yeah, and they also had a couple um, couple moments from some of my favorite polyvinyl records bands. Did you ever, were you ever into polyvinyl records? No, I feel like I have to go do a lot of research after this. Yo, polyvinyl records, Paris, Texas, Rainer Maria, Braid, and of Montreal's I would say best album, the 2004 Satanic Panic in the Attic. That oh, is, I do like that album. That's a great album. That's a, that's a, that's a, their only polyvinyl records release. Uh-huh. Is this like a Athens, Georgia based label? No, they were best, basically, they were based in Champaign, Illinois. Oh, okay. But polyvinyl, I'm sorry, but of Montreal, definitely. They're is, from Athens. Yeah, they were part of Elephant Six, and they were definitely in that Athens zone with that great label Elephant Six, which kind of hewed away from emo and was more like jangle rock. And Yeah. Um, and this was like their only polyvinyl records release, and they went major, and they, you know, they were big of Montreal. They were big, and I was just thinking about I have to do research, but you're recommending this book to me, so it, I know exactly where to start. It's a, it's called Negatives, a Photographic Archive of Emo. Fantastic. What's your final one? My last one is another restaurant experience that I had recently that I really liked, which I went to Hainan Chicken House in mm. Sunset Park. Have mm. you been there? I've not been there. I've heard about it. I've read about it. I think Sitsuma wrote something about it in the last year. Yeah, yeah, I think they got a Times write-up over the summer yeah. also, but it's just like a, such a good 
Malaysian place in Sunset Park. Uh, the Heine's Chicken is like what I came there for, which was so good. It was a rainy. It's been raining a lot in New York. Yeah. It's one of those rainy Saturdays where you kind of don't have anything better to do than to just like yeah. go on a food mission. And it was so great. They had really good like classic milk tea. I had some fried pawpaw for dessert. Oh, cool. Uh, and fried. They, How do you fry pawpaw? I don't know. With great yeah. difficulty, I would imagine. Yeah. But uh, it was very great. And like all of the huh. ladies working there were like so lovely and friendly. And it just made me wish that I lived closer to Sunset Park so I could go more often. Yeah. Sunset Park is is really cool. I, I haven't been back in a while, but I have a couple of friends who live down there. And I, I think it's a great neighborhood worth maybe doing some editorial around. Maybe we should write some about Sunset Park. Yeah. There's so many great different like immigrant communities that have really like established yeah. um great dining destinations in Sunset Park. Mm-hmm. I wanted to go bowling afterwards at Melody Lanes, yeah. but I stepped one foot in there and I was like, okay, this is like children birthday party. Yeah. Not ready to fight all of these dads in Sunset Park for a lane. So just went to Greenwood instead, which is honestly a great one. Wait, you activity. hung in Gre- Greenwood Cemetery in the rain? Yeah. Speaking of emo. <laughs> Speaking of Scorpio season. Yeah. And, you know, did a little like drive, listening to music, went to go see Basquiat's grave. Apparently like one of the inventors of the hot dog is also buried in Greenwood. That's wow. Fun fact. Wow. We Wait, do... how do you invent the hot dog? I thought it was like a German food from like be- way back. Maybe they like commercialized like That's the hot dog I... press or something. Ooh. Look, we should fact check me. Maybe we should do a Sunset Park and then Greenwood Cemetery yeah. double feature. Food history. Have you ever had a drink at the bar at Melody Lane's? No, this was my only experience was like not making it past the entryway. <laughs> oh, okay. They have a bar. They do and they have a bartender and Punch wrote a great profile of him back in the day. Uh, and if you've ever been, and I have, and, and that guy will talk your ear off. Okay, I'm going to have to go read that because I bet he's seen a lot of things. He's seen something. He's an interesting character. He also dresses the, the part. <laughs> it's great. Okay, what's your last thing? Hudson Valley Steelhead Trout. Oh, it's so good. Yeah, you've had it. Okay, let's talk about it. Then. Yeah, I I wrote a big feature story for Bon Appetit a couple years ago about the future of sushi and sustainability with like, fishing. And I had this trout. steelhead trout yeah. um, at Rosella, which is this great like uh, sushi place in the East Village that does all like locally caught or farmed fish instead of like overnighting their seafood from Japan. Yeah. So that's when I first had this. They're doing it um, up in the Hudson Valley, and then there's also a good trout person in Bushwick. Absolutely. And to add to that, I love what they're doing with this this product, and it's up in Newburgh. And I, I love um, – I just love the, the clean finish of this trout. And you can buy it raw or you can buy it hot-smoked or in lo- as locks or cold-smoked. But I like cooking it. I like doing a, a really simple, like a lemon and, and kind of baking it on low heat and just kind of getting it to that perfect temperature, um, really making sure you're not charring it and overcooking it. Um, and really, I think for the value too, you know, it's really, you can get like a package of it for under 30 bucks shipped to your house, or you can pick it up in New York City at many markets. It's, I will link to the, sh- the, the website in the show notes. It's some of the best fish I've had. It's so clean. It's, I just love steelhead. I love this, this fish. Well, I'll have to go have more of it. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a good one. And again, farmed fish is, it's a tricky topic. And I think it's neutral to negative in most people's impression, but we eat so much of it as a culture. And I think when you find good farm-raised fish, and it, you should celebrate it. Yeah, I think also especially in the context of diminishing uh, fish populations around yeah. the world and the amount of people that need to be fed, I think that farmed fish and even like cell-cultured fish will be a way of the future, maybe not quite now, but five years from now. And so especially if you're having good practices and like yeah. the flavor is prominent as well, it's totally like worthwhile. It's so worthwhile. Thanks for sharing your three things. And Anytime.
This is Taste is hosted by Eliza Abarbanel and me, Matt Rodbar. The show is produced by Shalia Harris and Pat Stango and edited by Clayton Gumber. Theme music by Steve Rydell. Visit Taste online at tastecooking.com and make sure to subscribe to our newsletter for updates on all cool things that are happening. 